It's May 4th, 2017, and I'm in room 311 of the English Philosophy Building. Room 311 is a windowless closet crowded with a conference table and rolling chairs that currently contain the five members of my dissertation committee. A radio scholar, a romanticist, an 18th centuryist, education theorist, and Victorianist. So we're here to talk about your prospectus, and um, I, I welcome my delightful colleagues. And uh, we're, you know, we're, we're interested in raising constructive questions um, that will you know, help you with uh, clarifying the focus, the scope, and the process, because the process so, is so interesting. It's the job of these five people to advise me over the next months or more likely years as I write my dissertation, which is the only thing standing between me and my doctorate in English. What we're here to discuss today isn't my dissertation per se, but rather my prospectus, a Microsoft Word document spanning anywhere from six to 20 pages that describes the dissertation, the one I haven't written yet. In this way, think of the prospectus as a sort of dissertation permission slip. A sheet of paper that, once signed, allows me to climb on board the bus and head into the field of academic literary criticism. And if I don't earn my committee's signatures at the end of this meeting, then I guess I'm going to have to stay behind and eat my bagged lunch all by myself. It's expected that a grad student will take anywhere from three to six months to write a prospectus after passing the comprehensive exam. I passed mine in March of 2016, if hobbling out alive can be called passing. So when I still hadn't managed to scrape together a prospectus by that December, things weren't looking good for me. It was a time of floundering false starts, avoiding run-ins with advisors who I imagined either pitied or despised me for my helplessness, and coming up with ever more elaborate, jargon-ridden descriptions of my project to mask the fact that it didn't exist and maybe never would. Whenever anyone would ask me what my dissertation was about, I'd answer something like, uh, it's a rumination on the complexities of the dialectic between elitism and knowledge and epistemic cultures, and how that dialectic has shaped modern notions of viability in academic work. It was, in short, a time of total bullshit. All of this baggage I carried with me into the windowless closet, and so it seemed especially alarming when the meeting started out like this. In case you missed it, just after the meeting began, I was asked to leave the meeting. I smiled and nodded out of the room, making sure to grab my notebook so I could jot down a few thoughts for posterity. Well, fuck. Fuck, fuck, fuck. The term prospectus dates back to the 18th century, and while the Oxford English Dictionary says it's technically a document setting out the details of a suggested enterprise or forthcoming publication, it also has resonances of the wild frontier, of mining for precious metals, Think of the familiar old prospector character, some gray-haired old man whistler recklessly devoted to the mad gamble of a gold rush, an enterprise situated somewhere between the American dream and a delusional treasure hunt. He's wizened from years of hard labor, 
has likely developed a drinking problem, and is so full of tall tales and baffling knowledge that it's hard for him to relate to anyone other than his fellow prospectors. Isn't this exactly what I've become? If to prospect is to survey a place in search of something valuable, to make sense of terrain that can be as wild and as expansive as the American West, then, in the case of the grad student, prospecting means convincing the five people sitting around the conference table that you've staked out a corner of the vast landscape of literature and literary criticism that with your trusty, well-worn tools of synthesis and analysis, you can tame into some kind of order. You can uncover something entirely new and valuable that, at the moment, no one else can see. You can pull gold out of a mountain of rock, but only if they'll let you try. So here I am, an old prospector in a cardigan and sensible heels, waiting in the hallway while my committee deliberates. Besides cursing into my notebook, I also spend some time, what else, speculating, specifically about what they may be saying in there about me. And unlike the usual grad student for whom this will remain a mystery for life, I now know exactly what they said in my absence, because with their permission, of course, the tape was rolling the whole time in room 311. The sacred rites of the prospectus meeting were being recorded for maybe the first time in history. In the recording, I can hear myself leave, and then a few seconds later, these words of support from the romanticist. Please! Yeah, so I, I, I'm just imagining the response, and I'm trying to like just get us to like, so I, I can imagine different, this is a complicated thing because it's like a new format. Oh yeah, that's the other thing. As if writing a dissertation wasn't hard enough, I'm making it even tougher on myself by trying this new format. But more on that later. I'm super excited about the new format. I can imagine, and I, can, and I think she, I have confidence in her, so I have like a lot of confidence in this. I can imagine reservations people might have about this. I can imagine their reservations too, because some of them weren't shy about telling me in the weeks leading up to the meeting. After going down countless dead ends and abandoning numerous topics, I sensed I was losing any glimmer of credibility I still clung to after comps. So around March, I finally landed on something and really forced myself to forge ahead on it. Victorian amateurism. As in the growing culture of people in Victorian England who were devoted to some non-academic, non-professional pursuit of knowledge, like the Society of Antiquarians or the troop of amateur archeologists roaming the globe with their shovels and pickaxes. I wanted to say that we had something to learn from those amateurs, those lovers of something, which is a term, by the way, that came into the English lexicon right around the start of the 19th century, exactly the period I wanted to study. So that seems significant. Unlike me, facing down the hyper-professionalized world of literary scholarship with all of this debilitating anxiety, for these amateurs, I wanted to argue, knowledge production was pleasurable, something done without fear and free from institutional constraints. And while there may be some benefits to this regulatory system that included meetings like this one, at the same time, I wanted to say, we were losing sight of what makes literature matter in the first place. For the amateurs, their perception of what knowledge was was something less rigid. It didn't need to fit into a tiny box of academic specialization, didn't need to depend on approval from others to even get off the ground, 
didn't need to follow arcane rules created by the demands of a highly exclusive job market. In short, what we needed to learn from amateurs was how to undo the system that culminated in the writing of a dissertation. You know, that thing I was asking permission to do. It didn't go over too well. Here are the Victorianist and the 18th Centuryist. Okay, 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 okay. okay, okay. I think okay. so too, uncomplicated okay. views, but basically she changed her mind lots of time. Yeah. And so whatever happens a year from now will be different than this. Okay. It's only been five months, and she's exactly right, but still, that one was hard to hear. I've already gone through all my fierce objections with her, yeah. and she's resisted them, so I'm, I'm on board with, oh, yeah, with, too. with supporting this. Fierce objections. She's resisted them. It happens with everybody. Herein lies the double-edged sword that's constantly been pressing against me as I've been trying to write this dissertation. What this project is supposedly designed to do is make me an independent scholar, an expert in my field, deserving of the title doctor. But the way I have to complete this project in self-reliance and independence is by being dependent on my committee for approval at every step, which is not so self-reliant at all, actually. Four minutes later, I'm back in the room. So the first question is kind of like a really traditional sort of dissertation question, that is, can you tell us a little bit about what's unique in your reading of these 19th century novels that you're, mm. you're talking about? Yeah, um, well I think first my reading of Frankenstein is pretty original. Um, my reading of Frankenstein is pretty original. I mean, I think it is, but that's also absolutely what I have to say at this moment, because that's what literary scholars do, right? Come up with readings that are original. I go through each of my other four planned dissertation chapters and explain how those are original, too. But even still, there was this kind of glitch happening in my brain where I wanted to do more than just offer new readings of literary texts. I wanted to use those readings of literary texts to say something larger, more meaningful about Victorian culture, or really, about our culture. This wasn't working for the 18th centuryist. On the one hand, it seems you're trying to write a piece of social history, and on the other hand, you're trying to read select literary works. Mm -hmm. And it becomes very unclear, it still is, I think, as you move through, which is in service of the other. Okay. Um, what you Basically, he's saying that I seem to be confused about the uses of literature, what reading it can and can't do, that glitch I was talking about. What you're aiming to do is to write a piece of literary and cultural history. Close reading of a few select novels isn't really the method to do so, at least within a traditional dissertation. As a traditional dissertation perspective, this has a lot of problems. Yikes. He was right. At this point, one of the major reasons I wasn't bouncing along with my peers on the bus to academic professionalism is that I had started asking myself these questions like, what is the point of a PhD in English? What does it mean to be an expert in Victorian literature and is it even really possible to be one? Maybe most scary of all is that I started to wonder, like one of my own embittered Gen Edlet students, why we even read literature at all. I sought help. I went around asking all of my professors this question. What is the purpose of literary criticism? The closest I got to the truth, or maybe the closest I got to a genuine, candid answer, 
came from a professor who, over the years, had expressed her own frustrations with the academic system and its various oppressions. Her answer? No one can tell you because no one fucking knows. It was like hearing someone else acknowledge that yes, in fact, the emperor was prancing around with no clothes. Despite my existential doubts and my awkward, fumbling answers, I made it through the meeting. I passed. But it wasn't easy, and there were more moments like this one. You are not developing here a, a, um, a suitable framework for suggesting that the text is making an argument. For the text don't argue, authors argue, but um, yeah. that even the author is arguing one thing. In my permission slip, I had written a sentence that began with, The text argues. As in, within the culture of industrial mid-Victorian Manchester, Elizabeth Gaskell's novel North and South, or the text, was making a certain argument about knowledge in the aristocracy versus the working classes. The 18th centuryist and romanticist were all over me about it. Support both of what, the, what you're both saying. I also did not like the text argues, and I don't like it with a level of prose style because I don't like when, when inanimate things are made to be agents. And I just think it's like even when you're doing a more conventional whatever. Besides being fodder for my raging imposter syndrome, all of this certainty that there was a wrong way to talk about literature and that I was doing it made me think that maybe prospecting is actually more akin to some other aspect of the past. Rather than hearkening back to the American gold rush, maybe the prospectus is a relic of the European Enlightenment, a movement that considered knowledge to be absolutely certain only if the seeker followed this very specific set of rules in attaining it the scientific process. Maybe the dissertation, the goal of this whole ordeal, is, after all, a genre not really suited to the humanities so much as the sciences, and that's why I'm having so much trouble understanding the rigidity and the fiercely defended conventions surrounding it. It's as if I've been lured into a mind maze, or, like the heroines of the literary genre that developed contemporaneously with the Enlightenment, the Gothic novel, maybe I've been lured into a crumbling ancient castle. What led me to this place is the prospect of a life devoted to literature, of professing it as a career. But once I arrived, the prospect of a professorship began promptly to fade from view, like the Gothic ghost that it is. And now I'm trapped here, in this gothic castle known as grad school, with its intricate system of locked passageways, trap doors, and dead ends, all lorded over by the mysterious cult of the profession. The only way out for me, the intrepid heroine trembling with trepidation, is to figure out the secrets of the ancient cult, to gain some knowledge that, for the next 500 pages or so, will continue to evade my grasp. I've got to show my mastery of the rules of literary criticism, but at the same time, critique them. I've got to outsmart the Baroque villain of the grad school gothic, the dissertation itself, by doing it, while also simultaneously undoing it. And, like those breast-heaving readers enraptured by the illicit world of the gothic in the 18th and 19th centuries, you're invited along to witness my own daring PhD adventure. Because this is my gothic dissertation. My gothic dissertation was written, reported, and produced by me, 
Anna Williams. To hear episodes, read transcripts, and see footnotes, head over to MyGothicDissertation.com. You can subscribe to My Gothic Dissertation wherever you get your podcasts, including Lyceum, an exciting new platform that brings together the most inspiring ideas, discussions, and people in the world's first audio learning community. Lyceum offers a unique online forum, so if you'd like to engage directly with me about what you've heard, download the Lyceum app, search for My Gothic Dissertation, and leave me a comment in the discussion room. The theme song for My Gothic Dissertation is Can't Stop Running, written and performed by Adam Ben Ezra. A big thanks to him for allowing me to use it. The website and logo for My Gothic Dissertation were designed by Brett Forsyth of Yellowhammer Creative. Consultants were Ginger Marshall, Michael Garofalo, and of course my dissertation committee, who lifted the gate and allowed me to do this project in the first place. Thanks to everyone who let me interview them. They are Sherry Treffin, Kevin Birmingham, Deirdre Egan, Virginia Crisco, Meredith Elzey, Isabel Scockney, Ellen Ledoux, Elizabeth Allen, Judith Pascoe, Susan Mingi, David Gublar, Paul Minot, Timothy Burke, Joe Livingston, Kristen Nepp, Janelle Schwartz, Matt Barton, Renee Ledoux, Amy Paulus, Kathy Magaro, Annie Sand, Jenny Benoit, and my peers Laura, Lydia, Angela, Lulu, Caitlin, Jamie, Kathleen, Pedro, Philip, Maheen, Jen, Jillian, Anne-Marie, Margaret, Tori, Maddie, Ian, Brady, Rachel, and Carl. Finally, I'd like to give a shout out to the Iowa Public Radio talk show team, who were my engaged radio pedagogues back in 2016 and 17. They are Catherine Perkins, Charity Nebbe, Ben Kiefer, Lindsay Moon, Emily Woodbury, Claire Roth, and Dennis Reese. Thanks for listening, and be sure to tune in next week.